congregation, the consistory has the following announcements to make here. The consistory announces that Gordon Hendrick Sipkas and Shauna Lindsay Endeman have indicated their intention to enter into the marriage state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to his glory. If no lawful objection is brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday, July the 23rd at 3 p.m. in the Canary Reformed Church of Elora. Reverend E. Campen officiating. <clears throat> the consistory with the deacons proposed to extend a call to candidate Jonathan Chase. A congregational meeting will be held next week, Sunday, July the 10th, after the afternoon service for congregational input and for decision-making. Information will be available in your mailboxes today. Council will meet with classical appointed church visitors, the Lord willing, Monday evening, July the 4th, 2016 at 8 p.m. And the consistory will meet following the council meeting. You're reminded that there's a hosting collection in the foyer following both services today. And finally, we, we ask you to join in singing the national anthem following this morning's service. We'll sing stanzas one and four. Stanzas one and four. Uh, the fourth stanza begins with the words, Ruler Supreme. So far, the announcements for this morning. Please rise and lift up your hearts to God. We begin our worship by confessing that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the Lord's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 33, stanzas 1 and 4.
Congregation, we'll submit our lives now to God's covenant law as repeated by Moses in Deuteronomy 4 and summarized by our Lord in Mark 12. And we'll sing after the reading of the law, Psalm 33, stanzas 5 and 6. And we read the law as you find that in Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 5. The Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. As the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbors. And the Lord Jesus was asked by one of the scribes, which commandment is the most important of all? And he answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.
Let us join together in prayer. O God of our salvation, our merciful Father in Jesus Christ, thank you for your goodness last week, providing for us, keeping us. Thank you for the sun and the rain last week, that rain which was so needed. Thank you for a day of rest today so we can rest in you in our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Bless our worship this morning and the opening of your words so that our relationship with you and your son may continue, if need be, even begin. Father, there's a lot that wants to weaken or break that relationship with you. The devil, the world, our own sinful nature are constantly trying to pull us away from you and from the blessings that there are in you, the treasures that you have promised. And we have to confess that all too often they succeed in getting between us and you. All too often we give in to the enticements and temptations. We so easily give in to our own sinful desires become envious, selfish, unmerciful, unloving, callous, angry, bitter. And those kinds of thoughts and feelings sometimes lay so close to the surface in us, Father. We're such weak and sinful people in ourselves, yet even though we of all people should know better, forgive us through the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, which is the perfect sacrifice for all our sins, more than enough to satisfy your justice against our sins, Father. Cover our sins with his perfect satisfaction and righteousness and assure us once again through our worship that in him we're completely reconciled with you and that through him we can more and more live a new life not to earn your love, but out of thankfulness for the love you have shown us in, in Jesus. Work in us and with the Holy Spirit so that we're not just satisfied with the way we are now, but that we keep striving for the holiness which surrounds you in heaven, the holiness without which no one will see you. That holiness in heaven where we'll look we look forward to being with you in your glory. Help us to more and more live now as people who are on the way there. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. And let us feel now already in our hearts the beginning of the eternal joy which your people will have perfectly with you in your kingdom. And we pray that that bliss may not be hindered in any way by the worries and concerns of this life. That can happen so easily in all the things we have to deal with in life too. In this broken life. In our work and relationships and the worries about health. And also the health of relatives. Help to be able to give all our worries and struggles over to you every time again. And leave everything in your almighty and gracious hands. We ask you Father that you be with our families. 
bless our families and provide what is needed for, for the families physically, but above all spiritually. Let there be love in our families. Bless the marriage relationships between husbands and wives and let those relationships reflect that wonderful close relationship between Christ and his church. Father, we ask you to bless the relationships between the parents and the children here and we pray that the love you have for your people may be the example and guidance for parents to have heart for their children and also for children to love and respect their parents. Let the boys and girls grow in love for you, their gracious covenant God, and help the young people to grow in appreciation for the the wonderful promises you made to them too for this and for the future life. Be with the single members here that they may experience your love also in the communion of saints. And let those who are widowed know themselves surrounded by your care and the care of brothers and sisters in Christ here. Encourage us all, Father, to look to you for all that we need. We pray for the members of the congregation here who may not be able to be with us this morning because of sickness or other valid reason. Be with them and comfort them and strengthen them physically and spiritually. We pray for the members who aren't here because even though they could be, Father, but they're, they're straying away from you, Father. They're leaving that good, narrow path that leads to life. Be merciful and draw them again among us here through your love and mercy. Bless our worship today and let us all experience the warmth of your grace and love as well as the commun- in the communion with each other. Hear us, be with us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Congregation, let's open the word of God now to the gospel of Luke chapter 20. Luke 20, where we'll read the verses 27 to 40. Luke 20, beginning at verse 27, where we read God's holy word as follows. There came to him, to Jesus, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So far, the word of God. Let's respond to the word of God by saying together, Hymn 37, stanzas 1 and 2. We do that standing. The text I've chosen for the sermon this morning is verse 36 of that section that we read from Luke 20, verse 36, where the Lord Jesus is talking about the age to come, the age of the resurrection. And he says, therefore, they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to the life to come, which we confess and believe here, we have all kinds of questions, right, too. What will it be like in the resurrection? What will we be doing there? Singing praises all the time or also doing other things, activities? Will we we recognize the people we knew here in this life? Our loved ones in particular. Will a child always be a child and a senior a senior there? Will the earth be big enough to contain all the people who have been raised up? to live with God on the new earth. 
And what about marriage? That's the question that comes to the fore in Luke 30. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. In a physical life in eternity, we could say. And to prove their point, they came up with that scenario that they believed would would show that whole idea of the resurrection of the body to be not true. And they said, imagine there was a woman married seven times in this life. Time and again, she was widowed and remarried. A highly unlikely scenario, but remotely possible if you take into account that in the Old Testament, they had, uh, in, in Israel, they had leveret marriage. Men were obligated to marry the widow of their older male relatives in order to raise up descendants for them so that their inheritance in the promised land would remain in the family. Well, if there hypothetically would be a woman who had been married seven times, had seven husbands, what would happen in the resurrection when the bodies are raised and reunited with the souls and there is physical type of life again? How could she belong to seven husbands? Because seven husbands was illegal, according to the Jewish law at the time. And of course, the Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus, show how foolish his preaching about the resurrection really was. But Jesus gave a response which went above and beyond what was expected. An, an amazing response. And actually, that, that goes for all what his response would be to all our questions about the life to come, questions we can't go into this morning. But the Lord Jesus does respond to that question about marriage and the resurrection, and he does so in a remarkable way. He shows that there will be a big difference between then and now, this age and that age, life here and life in the resurrection, the age of the resurrection. The life in this age doesn't seamlessly go over into the life of the age to come. There are certain things which will be the same. Our bodies will again be our bodies as Jesus' body was his body. And his disciples recognized him. But there will also be differences. Big differences from life here. And that's what Jesus shows in our text within that context. And I preach to you the text for this morning with this theme then, the life in the age to come. It'll be different from life in this age. There will be differences in the first place. And secondly, what this means for how we live this life now. So life in the age to come will be different from life in this age. In the first place, congregation, Jesus' words in Luke 20 show at least three differences between this age and the age to come. Three differences. In the first place, there is development in this life, whereas in the life to come, there is fullness. You can typify the life here with two concepts, actually. Not yet and no longer. At first, there is not yet. When you're young, 
You're not yet finished your schooling. You're not yet licensed to drive a car. You're not yet married. You're not, you haven't yet paid off your house. You're not yet at the top of your career. Your children are not yet on their own. Not yet. Eventually, though, that not yet becomes no longer. Everyone's life is different, but eventually you can no longer have children. You're no longer able what you could do before. You're no longer married. You're no longer in the workforce. You're no longer able to walk without a cane. And it can be hard to accept those no longers when they come. It would be nice if you could stay strong and healthy and in the middle of things, but all those things, those nice things, they do pass on. And you have to let them go. No longer can you do this or that. If we had not fallen into sin in the beginning, there would be no no longers. But because of the fall, everything here goes from not yet to there and then no longer. Until we're no longer here. No longer part of this life. But because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, a new heaven and a new earth are on the way where there will be only one no longer left, really. will no longer suffer death, decline, and death. Think about it, congregation. After the Lord Jesus returns in glory, there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no longer any death or decay, no funerals, no cemeteries, no sorrow because someone dear is taken away from us, separated from us, and no prospect of death in the future either, no sickness, no decline, no disabilities leading to to that. Life and everything good and wonderful about it remains forever, and it never declines or fades or disappears You never have to be afraid that the good and the beautiful are are going to be taken away from you. You're never in danger. Never have to feel unsafe or uncertain. Imagine that some organization in this world today would advertise that they could offer those things to people here. Don't you think everybody would go for it? And Jesus does. He does offer that. His resurrection, we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. All who embrace him in faith will certainly share in that fullness of life which he now possesses after his resurrection. Why would you not embrace him then? That brings us to the second difference between this age and the age to come. Not everyone who lives and dies in this age will attain to the age to come and the resurrection to full and everlasting life. There will be people who lived here who are not there. That's the difference. Not all people are sons of the resurrection. And there will be children of this age who will be there. There will be children of this age whose eyes too remain blinded so that they don't see through what's going on here and where everything is headed. They don't see it. And therefore, it's necessary that our eyes 
be open to the reality that the life of this age, no matter how nice and happy it can be, is declining and will eventually perish. People might think they can stop the decline with science or politics or technology or so. They're even trying to make sin into a science. They can solve it. But congregation, the fall and the ongoing sin of mankind is taking its toll and it's dragging everything down, down, down. The ship of this age, we could say, is headed for the rocks of God's judgment. And there is nothing and no one who can stop that from happening. There's only one lifeboat, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's willing and ready to save sinners. But our eyes need to be open to where everything is headed, to those rocks. And only then will we say to him, Jesus, have mercy on us sinners. Do you truly see him like that as your only hope and salvation, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Jesus speaks in the verse just before our text about those who are considered worthy to attain the age of the resurrection from the dead. Notice they're not, they're not described as worthy in themselves. They are considered worthy. Not considered is an important word there. Like the prodigal son, when he returned to his father, he said, I'm not worthy to be called your child, your son. And the centurion who said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But they were considered worthy because they understood their own unworthiness. We're unworthy in ourselves, but worthy in Christ. Considered worthy, even though we're just as unworthy as everyone else. That's God's amazing grace in Christ. And that'll be the sons of the resurrection, unworthy in themselves, but considered worthy in Christ. We come to the third difference. Whereas there is an increase of population in this age, in the age to come, the number of people that exist is static. There's no increase. This age began with two people, Adam and Eve. And they were given the the job to be fruitful and to multiply. The population had to increase through through marriage and through the birth of children. But Adam and Eve sinned and death came into the world. And then the darkness of this age descended over the world The God of this age blinds the people. They no longer see who God is, who they are in themselves, that there's an eternity on the way. And that goes on till the end of this age, when this age is ripe for judgment. But then comes another age, a new age, a different age. The age of the resurrection. And that age will not begin with two people who have the calling to be fruitful and multiply. That age will begin with a set number of people. A host of people described in Revelation as a multitude which nobody could count. And no people will be added to that number. 
And no people will be taken away from that number either. That's the beauty of it too. In that age, no one can die anymore. No one can be lost anymore. And there also will be no more births, no increase on the other hand. Here and now, people die every day. And here and now, people are born on earth every day. But here also, here in this life, people are reborn every day too. Reborn. And so they enter God's kingdom. There's time for that. A time of grace in which the word is proclaimed and people can belong to God's kingdom and church, can enter it. But in the age to come, no one will need to be born again. No one will need to be added to the kingdom and church of God. That number is full. And that means that in the age to come, the gate of the kingdom will be shut forever. The opportunity to enter that kingdom will have passed. And it would be terrible if you found yourself outside that kingdom then with the door shut like the foolish maidens in Jesus' parable. So let's not get caught up in the attitude of this age in which people ignore the reality of death and the fact that when they die, there will no longer be any opportunity to enter God's glorious kingdom. Then there won't be any more opportunity to go in forever. But now there's still time. Now there is still time for all of us, congregation. So, I mentioned three differences between this age and the age to come. And that comes to the fore in our text. We come to the second part of the sermon. What those differences mean for our lives now. Congregation, note that the Lord Jesus draws a conclusion from those differences in our text. He points out that the children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those of the age to come neither marry or are given in marriage. He responds to the Sadducees. And and then he adds in our text that that's because in the age to come, people are equal to the angels. And what does he mean with that? Well, he's not saying that we'll be equal to the angels in not having bodies. Angels don't have bodies. They're spiritual beings. They're around us here. We can't see them. Spiritual beings. But the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the resurrection, we will indeed have bodies. Glorified bodies, but still material bodies. Like the body of the Lord Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Will be equal to the angels in that there is a set number of angels. They don't increase in number through birth. They don't decrease in number through death. Their number is forever the same. Once, way back, they had to make a choice. Do I go with the Lord or do I go with Satan? And that number ever since has been the same. 
The angels do not increase in number. And so it will be for the children of God in the resurrection. And I can think of three ways that that truth can apply to us here today. In the first place, there will be no more marriage with all its aspects, including the sexual aspect in the age to come. And that's because there will be no need for reproduction. There will be and cannot be any need for us to be fruitful and multiply anymore. In this age, we do have the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. In particular, in God's covenant and church and kingdom. That's one of the purposes of marriage. It's not to say it's the only or the most important purpose of marriage, but a purpose of marriage. An important goal of marriage, which God put in marriage when he instituted it in the beginning. And that's why it's not strange that people who seek but do not find a marriage partner or who marry but don't have children find those things painful to deal with. Especially believers. They know marriage as a gift of God and children as a blessing from the Lord. Yeah, an important goal of Christian marriage is then to bring forth children for God and his kingdom. There is death and God's church needs to continue here on earth. There's death and God's church needs to continue here on earth. And he loves to bring people into his church and kingdom, not only through mission work and outreach, but especially also through the birth of covenant children in the generations. He loves to work through the generations. And then it's a wonderful thing if a couple can contribute to that increase of God's kingdom and church to that population of the age to come through bringing children into this world in this age. That's so important with an eye to that future. Oh, our society today reasons in a completely different way. More and more couples decide to have no children today at all. In Canada, it's almost 10% of couples nowadays that decide they want to be child-free. And the other 90% or so more They plan to delay their first child to later in life and then have one more, maybe two more children. And that's because they don't want to put their career on hold too long. And they want to travel after. They want to travel and have fun. And they're totally geared to uh, focus on this life here. Not on any future. It's all about here. And congregation, you wonder sometimes if something of that attitude can maybe be creeping into the church too. What considerations and deliberations play a role in family planning with couples in the church? Can those considerations and deliberations of couples about the children, can that be brought before God? Are those considerations honestly prayed about? And let's not judge 
other couples. Look at yourselves and ask, are our own considerations and deliberations truly godly? God-pleasing? And are we thinking of the life to come here? When we will be like the angels. And the number there will be full. And yes, bringing children into this world is good. It's, it's good. But the real challenge then too is to raise them to respect and love God according to his word. So that they are children of the sons of the resurrection. Sons and daughters of the resurrection. And that's the Christian parents' struggle in raising their children, isn't it? Their covenant children. That you do your best to instruct at home and to have your children instructed in church and school in God's grace and love so that they too may be born again. That, of course, is the work of the Holy Spirit. But as parents, you're instruments in that. For as baptism shows... Every time again, and the baptism form is read, it mentions that our children also are conceived and born in sin and by nature children of wrath, so that they cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's what that sprinkling with water teaches us. And then so parents have that, have the promise that the Holy Spirit will help them in that if they also seek his work in their children And live up to their promise to be the best instruments they can be of the Holy Spirit in working that in their children. And so even if those children have turned away from God at this time, those parents still have the mighty means of praying that the Spirit will remain in their children. And in time will turn the hearts of their children to God again. And that they never have to stop praying that. And couples and singles who have not received children from God then, they have the task to support the parents in the church and to pray for the youth of the church and to support in so many ways to be here, encourage the young people. We come to the second application of Jesus' words about the children of God being like the angels. Angels serve God. And in that, we're we're like the angels in the resurrection too. Serving God promptly, faithfully, fully. The angel's desire is constantly to carry out God's will. Always and everything. At home, we've been reading the book of Ezekiel. And at the beginning of that book, that prophecy, that, that prophet sees that amazing vision of, of seraphim with wheels under them. Wheels turning in wheels and turning every which way. In other words, the angels are ready to go wherever God wants them to be. They are ready to go there. In the age to come, we'll be like the angels ready, willing to faithfully serve God always in everything. It's not like that in this age, though, is it? Our serving God, our doing his, our, his will is not 
so spontaneous and prompt with, with us, is it? There sadly can be so much reluctance and apathy in doing the will of God with us yet. There are so, so many things like weakness and selfishness that hinder us from being so willing and ready to obey God's commandments that we say, yes, I want to do this. And we question, does the Lord really want me to do that? He wouldn't mind if I, I did that instead. And where am I going in this congregation? God instituted marriage so that husband and wife can, as the form for marriage states, they can help each other in all things that belong to this and the future life. See, the Lord our God knows how difficult it can be not to be married, not to have a soulmate for help and spiritual support. You can have close friends who support you. They can't actually replace a marriage partner who has your spiritual well-being at heart. The Lord knows how hard it can be to be alone, especially to be alone in the struggle of faith. That's why he invented marriage in the beginning. Supporting one another and serving God is then, you see, an important purpose of marriage. Supporting each other since serving the Lord and living for him can so easily slack off with us even come to a standstill with us. Not being willing to keep up the good fight of faith, but wanting to do one's own will instead. That, that's in our nature. And what a blessing it is then that the Lord gives us a marriage partner too. That God has called couples to help and support each other in serving him. You encourage each other. You pray together about things that you struggle with. You read and talk about God's word together as husband and wife. You go to church together. You talk about the sermon together. You raise your children together in the discipline and fear of the Lord. You say, shouldn't we do it this way? Would the Lord want us to do it this way? You stimulate each other in all those things, whether you're just married or married for years already. And you can spiritually admonish each other too. Right? You can take it from each other. If you notice weakness in each other. And see, that's also why God gave marriage. In order that we might have someone close to us to help us in our service of the Lord here. In the life to come... We won't need that. But here we do. Here is marriage in the life to come. No marriage any longer. So you realize our marriages, if they are really truly marriage in the Lord, should bring us closer to the Lord together. And that's something for you young people to think about too if you're looking for a husband or a wife. Can I see myself growing? You have to ask yourself, can I see myself growing in my love 
for the Lord and my service of him with this person? And you have to ask each other that or ask yourself that. Because what does it benefit you if you gain a marriage, even a really happy marriage, but you lose the Lord? We come to the third application of Jesus' words in our text. To summarize where we've come so far, God instituted marriage to bring children into this world for him and to help each other in serving him. And in that, we'll be like the angels in the life to come. No marriage needed, no help needed of each other. That's why marriage won't be needed in the life to come. That's also why marriage is so needed here and now. You can put it this way. Marriage in all its aspects, spiritual, physical, practical, is given to us by God so we can make progress together on the way to the resurrection, the age of the resurrection. Like a hiking pole to help you along a path to climb up a hill. It's, it's like a, a hiking pole, marriage is. That relativizes it a bit, doesn't it? That shows us what's most important of all in our life. What's most important is not whether we're married or not married, whether we have children or not, but whether we, we have entered the kingdom of God ourselves too. What are you busier with? How can I find a husband or wife or How can I enter the kingdom of God? How can we have children? Or how can we serve God's kingdom? See, you you can hike up that hill without a pole too. With God's help. As long as you're on the right trail. Then you're headed to the age when God will wipe away every tear. And take away every sorrow. No longer any death. And he'll also take away the sorrow of never having been married or never having had children in your marriage or being widowed. Because then everybody's joy will be full. So marriage is just an instrument. It's not everything. You can have the hiking pole of marriage and then you can lean on that hiking pole and stop where you are on that hill and think, oh, I love the view from here. I don't need to go any further. And you see, what happens then is then your marriage and your life here becomes an end in itself. And then you're like the people in the days of Noah. In those days, Jesus once said, they were eating and drinking, building and planting, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that the water flooded over the earth. Now, eating and drinking, building and planning, marrying and giving in marriage, those are not bad things at all in themselves. But the thing was that that is what their life was all about. That's what they they completely were absorbed in that only. Maybe they even prayed for those things. That God would give them a happy and comfortable life together. 
But God gives us what we have to serve and honor him for the progress of his kingdom. Not just for ourselves, but for him. Marriage, too, isn't an end in itself. It's for the Lord. And it looks towards the resurrection, the age of the resurrection. Oh, congregation, you realize that that's what makes life such a struggle and gives us so much sorrow here yet. Our service of God is so incomplete and deficient yet here, isn't it? And that's because our life here is in a state of not yet. All of life here is in a state of not yet. I'm not yet as holy as I should be. I'm not yet as devoted to serving God as I could be and I need to be. If only I could make more progress in those things. If only I was further on that hike up that hill. If only I could be at the top of that hill already with God, living fully to his glory, no longer having to fight sin in myself. But I'm not there yet. But I wished I was. There's a longing in me then. And as long as we have that longing in us, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the not yet will certainly become no longer for us there. No longer sin. No longer imperfect. No longer death. No longer unable to serve God with our whole heart. Because then we'll be with God and with the Lamb who saved us and able to fully serve and praise them forever. Amen. Congregation, let's sing in response to the proclamation. Hymn 72, stanzas 1 to 5.
Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for our worship here this morning, for letting us praise you, for being able to open your holy word, the gospel of life here, for being together in that. Father, give, give that the word this morning may have worked in all of us, the, the longing for the age to come, the age of the resurrection, as our Savior called it. And grant that we may have all been guided in how to live in this age in anticipation of that age to come. Help us to live in this age for that age as married couples and as singles or as widowed members too, Lord, with children or childlessly, Father. It's so easy to get caught up in the way of life of so many in this world who only live for this life as if this life is all there is. But imprint on our hearts that anticipation of being with you, of being like the angels in devotion to you, in serving and glorifying you in everything. Lord, we can't even imagine in our state now how that will be in the age to come. But we know from our Savior who came from you to save us, and who went back to you again too. That it will be beautiful and awesome. Help us to apply that word. That knowledge to our lives always. Be with us now as we leave here. And help us to carry that in our hearts. And bring us back together around your word this afternoon. That word is wonderful truth. In a, a world that is caught in so many lies. And it's life in a world that's in decline and decay. And it's light in a world that is darkened because of sin. Hear us. Go with us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the truth, the way, the truth, and the light. Amen.
Congregation are reminded of the singing of O Canada stanzas one and four after I've come down from the pulpit. Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.